Open in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 this morning. And I want to preach to you for a few moments on a position, a job that we have to do. And it's presented to us in this passage of Scripture. Let's begin reading at verse number 14. The Word of God says this, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation." Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Look at verse 20 once more. We'll read this and pray. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you... In Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to have. Now, Lord, I pray that you would use it for your glory. Lord, this morning, my heart doesn't desire an eloquent sermon. Lord, or the praise of men. But, Father, if I can just obey you this morning and give you glory in what's said in these next few moments, I'll feel like we've had a successful day. Father, I pray that if there's any amongst us that are lost without Christ, that you would help us to be able and fit ambassadors this morning, to speak good things of a far country, and the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that they'd be saved before it's everlasting too late. We do ask these things now in Christ's name. Amen. The Word of God tells you and I that one of the things that God has made us one of the functions that He has for us, and one of the jobs that He has employed us in, is that of being an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we consider what an ambassador is, and I've preached from this passage several times, I know, and uh, we've spent time, great lengths of time, examining what an ambassador is and what he does and so on and so forth. And that's not what I want to do this morning. I want to more give an exposition of this passage. But I believe it behooves us to take a moment and say a word about what an ambassador does. And there's a few things that are necessary. The first thing is we understand an ambassador is by virtue of his position and by virtue of his birth, he's a citizen of another country. You can't be an ambassador to the country that you're born from. You know why? Because you're not an ambassador. You're merely a citizen. An ambassador is a man that belongs to another country, has loyalties in another country, has family in another country, has home in another country, he has the, the desires of another country in his heart and in his mind. And it is in, uh, absolutely aware uh, from this passage, we are absolutely aware from this passage, 
that one of the chief qualities of a born-again believer is that their citizenship has been changed. You know, when you got born again, you became an alien in this present world. We talk all the times, and it's election year, and if you ever want to see something entertaining, just watch one of the debates, amen? And uh, get you some popcorn, sit back, get that remote so you can turn the volume down real quick when you need to, and just sit back and and watch it. And uh, we're hearing all the time about the issue of illegal immigration. I've got a whole message I guess I could preach this morning if I wanted to, but I want to have your mind on higher and heavenly things this morning. Uh, but one of the things that we talk about is the trouble that they have assimilating. The migrant crisis that you're seeing in Europe, there's a problem with assimilation. Uh, when you take uh, over a million people and pump them into a society that is as different as night and day culturally from the society that they have come from, You've got to expect that they might not understand how society works and functions. They might have trouble assimilating to their environment. Well, the same thing has happened in your life and mine, only it's happened a little bit different. You see, we were born in this world, we were of this world, but then we got born again when we got saved. And our citizenship changed. The culture that we are comfortable in ought to have changed. Listen, when you got born again, there ought to be some things that used to make you comfortable that make you uncomfortable now. And there ought to be some things that used to make you uncomfortable that feel real comfortable now that you've been born again. If that didn't happen, you didn't get born again. When you got saved, there were some things that changed in your life. And one of those was your citizenship. I believe an ambassador has to have another citizenship. He has to be from another country. But we understand that an ambassador has a job to do. In fact, we might say this, that an ambassador, the only reason he is in that country, the only reason that the homeland would allow him and sponsor him and provide a way for him to be there is because he has a job to do while he's there. Uh, You know, we wonder sometimes what's going on in our life. We wonder why God allows the things to happen that happen. But I think if we had an adjustment of perspective, it might help us some. Do you understand that the reason you're here is to be an ambassador for a heavenly country, to be an ambassador for the cross of Calvary? That's the reason that you're here. Now, you may do a lot of things while you're here, uh, but the reason you're here is to be a witness and a testimony to the grace of a loving God. That's why you're here. That's why you're left here. How many times have you heard someone say, when someone is at the point of death, and they're beginning to slip away, and they seem to hang on longer than we expect, you hear someone say, well, I guess God has a purpose left for them yet. You may have had times in your life, I tell you, the way people drive nowadays, we've all had times like this, where it's just a wonder that you made it from point A to point B. Uh, You see the way people drive, the craziness, the madness of it, and think about it all. And I've said this before, I mean, you go out on the road, the population in Knox County is something like 330,000, I think, at the last census, and I'm sure it's more than that now. And every one of them has six or seven cars and drives them all at the same time, and I don't know how they do that. You get out on the road, man. I mean, you're driving down the road, and the only thing that separates your 65-mile-an-hour, 1,500, 2,000-pound car, whatever it is, from their 65-mile-an-hour, 1,500, 2,000-pound car is a double yellow line and the common sense that is so rare in the days that we live in. You may have had some close calls and thought to yourself afterwards, well, I guess God has left me here for a purpose 
Can I tell you something this morning? You don't have to wait till somebody half runs you off the road to decide that God's left you here for a purpose. You don't have to wait till you're laying in a hospital bed to figure out that God has left you here for a purpose. As an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about who that is. I'll go ahead and give you a hint, all right? Spoiler alert, okay, for the sermon. It's everybody that's been born again. If you're saved, you're an ambassador. Like it or not, you're an ambassador. And the reason that you're here is to give testimony of the home country. And that reminds me of what our great job is. You know, an ambassador is there to reconcile the wishes of his home country to the realities of the country that he's in. He's there, and you know what he's got with him? Now, he may have a lot of things that he's equipped with. I'm sure in this modern day that they live in, I'm sure when an ambassador goes to a country that they set him up with a home to live in. I'm sure they have a vehicle to drive. I'm sure they've got an allowance that allows them to function. They may have a lot of technology and things given to them by their home government so that they can function in that capacity. But here is the main commodity that they carry with them in the country that they live in is they can speak for the country that they're from. They can tell folks what the wishes and what the abilities of the country that they come from are. And you know, that's the same thing for me and you. At the end of the day, you know what we're here for? We're here to tell folks what God is willing to do, what He has done, and what He needs man to do. We're an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, I didn't plan it this way, uh, and in fact, can I make a confession? Me and my wife, we don't celebrate Valentine's Day, um, and, uh, and if you can ever work that out, men, it's the greatest deal you'll ever work out. We, uh, I don't need Hallmark to tell me what day to love my wife on, amen? It's always Thursdays, irregardless of what the calendar says, so... But it's interesting to me, I did not plan it this way, but it's interesting that verse 14, how does it begin? It says, for the what? For the love of Christ constraineth us. I want you to notice with me first off the motive of the ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's going to get you to live this way? and What's going to get me to live this way? I know lots of folks that know the right way to live, but they just can't seem to live right despite their best efforts. What is it that could cause us to live for another place, for another destination, for another destiny? What is it that could cause us to be willing to go out to people that sometimes will despise us, people that sometimes will rebuke us, people that sometimes will revile us? I mean, listen, I, I'm glad for every time that somebody's been receptive to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you ought to be too, because there's lots of folks out there that are not receptive to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that could motivate? How are you going to get yourself in gear to go out and be a witness to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's three basic things that Paul points to. And I want you to notice the first thing is love's constraint. Paul says, that's what motivates me to share the gospel. At the end of the day, the very driving force and the reason is the love of Christ in my life. It's interesting to me that Paul does not say the love of sinners, but he says the love of Christ. This carries with it, I believe, two connotations. One is this. Paul is saying, if I really love Jesus Christ, then I'm going to love sinners too. Uh, You know, it's interesting. I appreciate Miss Kathy's testimony. We all love the Lord. Don't you believe that this morning? Man, He's worthy of our love. Let me ask you this. How do we manifest that love? I have seen marriages disintegrate because two people couldn't figure out how to express their love in a right way towards one another. They loved each other. There was no doubt in my mind that they loved each other. They cared about each other. They wanted things to work, but they just couldn't figure out how to tell each other that they loved each other. How do we tell the Lord 
that we love Him. How can we share that with the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we can tell Him, and that's good, that's fine. Uh, but the reason that they have this greeting card holiday is uh, it ought to be a day that you're not just telling your love, you're sharing your love with one another and showing your love to one another. And it's no different in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There was one very simple way that we can. You know what he told his disciples in John 15? He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. And I think included in that would be the greatest commandment that he has gave the New Testament church. We don't call it the great commandment, but we do call it the great commission when he said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You understand that if you're not being a witness, you're living in direct disobedience to the Word of God. You may have the right Bible. You may go to a good church. You may have the right standards, quote-unquote. You may have a, quote-unquote, Christian home. But you understand, if you're not being a witness to a lost and dying world, despite how much you read your Bible, despite how much you pray, it is an absolute scriptural fact that you're living in disobedience to the commandment of the Word of God. You see, if we really love Jesus Christ... It's going to manifest itself in our obedience to His commandments. But then I think not only is Paul denoting his love of Christ, but I think he's also denoting the the love that Christ Himself has. And we see that evidence here in the next few moments. But think uh, think about this with me for just a moment. You understand that when you're loving sinners, and the greatest way you can love them... Listen, I'm for putting shoes on their feet. I'm not against that. Give them a sandwich. That's fine. I'm not against that. But you understand that uh, all the social efforts, while they are worthwhile, I'm not opposed to them. You understand that people die and go to hell on a full stomach, right? I mean, just because you give them a sandwich, just because you give them shoes to wear, just because you give them a good place to stay, just because you put a coat on their shoulders, that's all good, that's all admirable. I'm not being critical or cynical or skeptical of those things, but you understand that that doesn't go far enough. It must be the gospel that reaches them. That's necessary. It doesn't matter how we uh, provide them comfort. If we don't provide them with conversion, then the comfort we have provided them with has been of no avail. When we love sinners, you understand that we're having the same love that Jesus Christ had. I think sometimes we love people getting saved, but we don't love sinners. I really want to let that soak in for a moment. We love the idea of people getting saved, but we don't really love sinners. Let me tell you something. Uh, if, If Christ, (laughs) if He only loved people getting saved and didn't love sinners... You understand he wouldn't have died for all mankind? Do you understand that he died for the man, the, the God-hating, Christ-rejecting infidel that will shake his fist to God all the way down to the depths and pits of a darkened hell, that God loves that man as much as he loves you or me sitting here today? He doesn't just love salvation. He doesn't just love sinners getting saved. Christ loves sinners. And he tries to reach them and he does it through the New Testament church. That's the love of Christ. You understand that that's got to be the driving force and driving factor. Until you understand that God loves that sinner the same way that he loves you, you won't really reach out to him. You may do like lots of folks. I've been guilty of this sometimes. You know, you see these guys and they're, and they're out, they got their bucket or their cup and they're wanting a little change. And sometimes you just, you know, you reach in the ashtray there and get a few quarters out and kind of flip them their way. You know, that's how we witness a lot of times. You know, I mean, somebody just comes by that's so lost that it's written all over their face and, and we just kind of just slide a track to them and, all right, I hope you come to church. 
but we don't really engage in a conversation. We don't really try to show the love of Christ to them. Listen, I understand you can't always uh, take every poor, pitiful, homeless person, put them up in a hotel and get them a job. I understand you can't do all those things, but we can, through the sharing of the gospel and through a kind and sincere conversation, show them that God loves them and that we love them too. The love of Christ constrains us. I think the first thing that Paul points to is love's constraint. But I think the second thing he points to is the logical conclusion of the cross of Calvary. Now, we talked a little bit about this in the past few weeks as we preached through Romans 5. I won't belabor it. But let me just point this out. Paul says this, For we thus judge that if Christ died for all, then we're all dead. In other words, if Christ died for all men, then all men are lost and need a Savior. Could I go a step further without, without abusing Scripture? And I don't think I am. If Christ died for all, that means any and all can be saved if they will be saved. If Christ died for all, and you better be glad He did because it might have been you or me left out if He was picking and choosing. He died for all men. He tasted death for every man. I, I have no idea how anyone, 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 anyone could see in Scripture the idea of limited atonement how you could dismiss every scriptural evidence that Christ died for all men. Over and over and over again in Scripture, we're told of Christ's death for all men. And I'm glad He died for all men, aren't you? Because the fact that He died for all men means that He died for me. But I must also understand that if He died for me, He died for all men. And if he died for all men, it's because he loves them and he cares about them. You understand that every single person that draws a breath in this world is a lost individual in need of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know there's some that would believe that somebody out in the African bush, that they can just look up towards heaven and believe there's a God behind that sun and that will get them to heaven. If you want to believe that, that's between you and God. That's not what I believe. I believe that there's none other name whereby we must be saved than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He didn't say no man that has heard the gospel repeatedly over and over and over again. He said no man. And that means no man. I I, I can't cut it any other way. You know what that tells me? That tells me that there are entire people groups all over the world living in gospel darkness that except we reach them, they won't be reached. Except we send someone... There'll be no one go, and except we tell, they won't be told. How shall they hear, Paul said, without a preacher? How shall they hear? Let me tell you something. This morning, as you sit here today, there are people in your life that if you don't tell them, they won't be told. I don't say that to bully you. I don't say that to try to cajole you into doing something that you don't want to do. That is the plain fact of the matter. We always like to think that there's someone waiting behind us. And, and, you know, we hear preachers say sometimes, well, if you won't go, God will send somebody else. And I understand the sentiment of that. I understand that we're all disposable. I understand that God does not have to use you and me. But I also believe that there are divine appointments that the God of heaven has set up for you and me, people that God has placed in our pathway and And if we're not willing to tell them, they won't be told. I see that love's constraint was one of Paul's motives. I see that the logical conclusion was one of Paul's motives. But I think the life commitment that Christ had made to him was one of Paul's motives. I want you to notice this with me in this passage. Let me say this. There's verses in here that I've never really comprehended in in a profound way until studying for this. Look at verse number 15. It says this, And that he died for all that they which live... Now, all men are dead 
You understand? All men are dead. They're all dead in trespasses and sins. But then there's those that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been born again and they've been quickened in their dead state and they've been made to live. Now, that's you and me. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. Paul basically says this, one of my motives for being an ambassador is I love Christ and I know He loves sinners. And if I want to love Him right, I've got to love sinners right. And I want to show the love of Christ to a lost and dying world. The second thing is the logical conclusion of that. If Christ died for me, He died for all men. So that means I ought to go to any and everybody that I can. Wherever I can find an open ear and an ear that will hear, I ought to be willing to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then Paul says this, and you know, if you really get to thinking about it, if we were in that group and we were dead in our sins, and now we're made alive, that means we could just as easily be in that group. We were just as good as dead, and the life which we have now is not really our life, it's His life that's been imparted to us. It says this, so I guess I shouldn't live it for me. I should live it for the one that gave it to me. Every one of us, we get distracted, don't we? Some of you all distracted this morning. <laughs> Every one of us gets distracted. Life is a distraction. I mean, the second that you leave out of here, and, and probably even before then, some of you all try and figure out where you're going to go to eat. Amen. And uh, I picked mine out two days ago, so you're not ahead of me. You're going to figure out where you're going to go to eat. You're sitting there, you're thinking, well, you know, I could go here, but they're always real busy. Well, it's Valentine's Day. I wonder if that'll make it worse or better and so on and so forth. And already the flesh, all right, already the flesh is trying to distract you from the preached Word of God. You'll leave out of this place and you'll, you'll have your entire mind will be occupied with, with red lights and directions and restaurants and parking and seating and menus. And I, I, I'm not claiming to be above those things. We all suffer from those distractions. But you understand that you wouldn't even have the life that you're living if Christ hadn't died in your stead and in your place. You understand that all those things that, that push in, that crowd in, that distract us from this higher plane that we're called to, from this greater purpose that we're commissioned to, all those things are causing us to live a life without purpose and without desire and without passion. You know, most of us are just trying to go along to get along and just trying to get by, and we're missing that the only reason we're in this world, the only reason we sit here in this church house today is because the grace of God had a radical interaction with our lost condition, saved us from our sins, renewed our life, regenerated who we are, redeemed us from the punishment and payment of sin. And the reason we sit here today is a testament and testimony to the power of the cross to save in your life and mine. That ought to mean something and that ought to be worth something. Amen. This life that has been purchased for us has not been purchased cheaply. And we ought to make it count for something. How are you going to feel? Let me just ask you something. I hope this isn't too blunt. And I hope this doesn't come off as rude. Uh, but let me ask you, 40 years from now, 60 years from now, or maybe four years or six years from now, whenever it is, when you're laying on your deathbed, do you think you're going to be counting the paychecks that you cashed? Do you think you're going to be sitting around rejoicing over the size of the house you're dying in? So what really matters? What really matters? Stack the hours up. Stack the paychecks up. Stack the, stack the trips up. Stack all those things up, man. Lay everything on top of each other. The, the cars, the wardrobes, the houses, everything. I'm not opposed to those things, but lay them all together and ask yourself if they'll mean anything when you're dying one day. 
Paul says, man, this life that I have, you know the real purpose of it? It's not so that I can have a, a, a more comfortable life. It's so that I can have a more consequential life for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the motive, I think, probably that Paul had. I think we need to get that motive in our mind. But I think there's a mindset that we need to have if we're going to be an ambassador. Notice a few things that he says. Look at verse 16. This is a mysterious verse to me or has been for many years, but I believe I understand it this morning. It says, Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. I want you to notice the perspective that Paul has in his new life that he's living. What does he mean when he says, after the flesh? Well, I believe this. I believe what Paul is saying is, we don't know any man the way that we did when we were lost. In fact, the only man that we have ever known, that we still know now in some respect, we knew Christ when we were lost. But now we don't know Him in that way anymore. When we were lost, Christ came to us in our lost condition. And in that condition, we could see the truth and the reality of what He was because of the Word of God and the Spirit of God in our life. He says, used to, when we looked at a lost man, we couldn't see the truth of what he was. We looked at a lost man and we thought he was just getting along the same way that we were and just making his way through life. And we thought that was what reality was. We thought that was the best thing. We thought that was what a man could aspire to. And you know, some of y'all are in that, that position. You work with people, you're surrounded by people, and they're just trying to get through and get by. And they think that's what life is. And there was a time when you were like that. that. You knew them after the flesh. And as a lost person, that's how you felt about life. But then all of a sudden, Christ came into the picture. And you saw Him for the truth and reality of what He was. And He showed you the truth and the reality of what you were. And now you don't know Christ the way that you knew Him then. Now you know Him not as a lost sinner, but as a child of God. Let me say this. That same change in perspective that took place concerning Christ took place concerning a lost and dying world. Can I give you a very simple phrase that might help you to understand it? There ain't no going back now. Used to, you'd go out and you could drink and carry on with them and you thought that's what life was, but now it ain't that way anymore. Used to, you'd just go along and try to just get from the next paycheck to the next paycheck and just try to live for whatever fun that you could have or drink away at the end of the week and that was what life was and there's no going back to that now. Now you know what the reality is. Now when you look at a lost person, you don't see him as just a buddy. You see him as a lost sinner. Now when you look at a lost person, you don't look at him as just a co-worker. You ought to see them as a lost individual in need of the cross of Calvary. Paul says this, when I got saved, I got new eyes. And they look at everything different than they used to. When we look at a lost and dying world, and this is one of the, this is one of the great crimes in the politically charged environment that we're living in. Let me tell you something. We think we live in a world of liberals and conservatives, but we really live in a world of lost and saved people. And I don't, I don't say that to say all liberals are lost or all conservatives are saved. What I'm saying is this. That those are the glasses we wear, especially in election year. Uh, we live in a world of D's and R's. That's how, we, that's, that, that's how we think. And what we ought to be doing is living in a world where we look around. We don't, we don't all automatically lump people into those categories. We lump them into categories of do they know Christ or do they, don't, uh, do they not know Christ. I mean, let me tell you something. Uh, the greatest thing that could happen to this country is not a Republican president. It's revival. And that's going to happen by us letting Christ get a hold of our hearts and lives. 
The greatest thing we can do for the lost individual is not elect someone that will pay his bills or someone that will give him a job so he can pay his bills. The greatest thing we can do for a lost individual is share for them one that paid it all and that died in their stead on Calvary. I'm saying this. We've got a new perspective if we're an ambassador. (laughs) You know, that ambassador, he looks out over that entire... And you know what he sees when he looks out over an entire country? He sees to himself the task of trying to win over everyone he can to his home country to try to convince them and show them the love, uh, the bounty, the ability, the freedom of his home country. And when he looks around, that's what he sees. In fact, typically speaking, an ambassador is never going to vote in an election. An ambassador ought to never really get involved in the politics of a matter, except in as much as he represents the country that he's from. You see, he's above all that. Listen, I'm not saying don't go vote. I'm not saying don't have an opinion. What I'm saying is this. There's bigger things going on this year than election. There's bigger things going on today uh, than an election or than a debate. The biggest thing going on is this. There's still lost sinners dying and going to hell. There's still people in need of the cross of Calvary. And in this politically charged world that we live in, don't ever lose sight of that. The reason you're here is not to sway an election. The reason you're here is to show sinners their need of Christ. I think that there's a perspective that is denoted here. But then I want you to notice not only a perspective that Paul speaks of. He says, when I look at the world, I see a world of lost individuals. But notice the position that he speaks of. Verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He says, man, that old lifestyle that I used to live, that's not relevant to me anymore. Those things that I used to live for and, and, and try to achieve and try to aspire to, if I go back to those things, I'm going back to dead works. God's called me to something greater and something higher. Do you remember what it was like when you got saved? And immediately everything was different. Do you remember that? Do you remember that feeling? I remember that feeling. When I got saved, Now, I, I, and I hope you do too, when I got saved, everything was immediately different. You know, it's still just as different today. Oh, yeah, we may grow comfortable. We may, you know, we may lose a little fire in our belly over it. But at the end of the day, that's, that radical change that took place, it's still changed today. We're still a new creature. Old things still ought to be passed away. All things still ought to become new. We spend a lot of time arguing over what that means to the new convert. I'm convinced we need to be spending more time focusing on what that ought to mean to the old convert. Because we, we spend a lot of time trying to measure people's hair and trying to uh, look at the, you know, after they get born again, trying to look at their habits or their appearance or, or their behavior, this, that, or the other, and trying to measure them up and trying to be a whatever fruit inspector. And it's like it's our job. Amen? Come on now, like it's our job. I'm more concerned with what that means for the folks who've been sitting on pews for 20 years. Let me tell you something. I, I believe the Holy Ghost will deal with those that have just been born again because they're usually pretty sensitive to the leading of the Holy Ghost. But, but I, I've got a feeling some of the old guard that we've been sitting on pews and we've grown up in it and we've got used to it, we've started to drift back towards the old things of this world. And we're not allowing all things to continue to be new. We're just an ambassador. That's our position. All things are new. Notice the passion that Paul speaks of. In the next phrase, look with me at verse number 18, the very beginning of it. He says this, and all things are of God. All things are of God. For the believer, all things ought to be of God. Whatever you you do ought to be Godward, or at least ought to be sourced in the Word and will of God. Whatever it is. Let me tell you something. You're going to think this is extreme, but I believe you ought to pray about what jobs you take. 
I believe you ought to pray about where you live. I believe you ought to pray about what cars you drive. You don't believe that? i got a Subaru I'll sell you. Somebody say amen to that. You ought to pray, pray, pray about these things. You know why? Because all things are of God. If you're living your life for self, you're missing it this morning. That's what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm trying to say. If you're living for self, if you're just trying to live for the the next latest and greatest that you can buy or purchase or somehow get a hold of, you're missing it. You're missing it this morning. That's not what God saved you to. He saved you to live for Him. He saved you to do something far greater and grander than what you're doing if you're just trying to make it to the next paycheck and the next job and just trying to get through. Now, you don't have to believe that. You don't have to hear that this morning. But it's true either way. And there'll come a day when we'll be a lot more receptive to that. Maybe when we look backwards at a life wasted, we'll wish we had heard it when it was preached to us. Paul says, man, all things are of God. Everything. Everything I do ought to be of God. Every every decision I make, every path that I walk down, every bit of it ought to be of God. It all belongs to Him. I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for Him. So what right have I to take these things for my own? The life I live, it's all His. That, that ought to be the mindset that an ambassador is. I, listen, I'm not here for me. I'm here for Him. You woke up this morning for the glory of God. That's why you woke up this morning. You could have just as easily not woken up. You're aware of that, right? You could have. There's plenty of people all over this world that, I mean, folks woke up in bed on this Valentine's Day morning and somebody they loved, somebody they cared about, didn't wake up along with them. And that could have been you. Why wasn't it? Surely there's rhyme and reason for that. Surely there's purpose in that. Are we to believe that God is so distinct and so specific in His creation that He makes all the harmonies of nature function and coincide one with another and then your life and my life is just happenstance? I don't believe that. I believe we're here for a reason. I believe we're here for a purpose. I believe you woke up this morning with a purpose and for a purpose. I think the mindset of an ambassador is important. I want you to notice the ministry of the ambassador. And I've got to hurry, so I won't dwell on this. Look at verse number 18. What's the next phrase? Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us a ministry of reconciliation. Who are those that are in the ministry of reconciliation? Those that have reconciled are those that are in the ministry of reconciliation. It wouldn't do to go to Mexico and get a Mexican fellow to be the ambassador for Ireland, would it? Oh, come on, help me now. Al's helping me this morning. Thank you, Al. <laughs> it wouldn't do, listen, it wouldn't do to go down to Africa and get an African fella to be the ambassador for Norway, would it? Somebody look at it and say, something ain't right about that. <laughs> no, typically an ambassador is someone from the home country. Someone that's tasted of the good things of the country that they're talking about representing. And you and I, because we've been born again, we've been enlisted in this service and in this job. The ministry of reconciliation, that's been given to us. To us. You ever think about what an honor that is? That is the greatest work in the entire world to do. It's not given to Israel to do. It's given to us to do. How how remarkable. It's not given to the government to do. Somebody say amen and thank the Lord for that. There'd be waiting lines at altars. (laughs) Forms to fill out. It's given to you and me to do, us to do. We've been admitted. We see grace's admission into this ministry. Look at verse 19. We see God's provision. I like this. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. 
what are the resources God has given us for this ministry of reconciliation? Well, I'll tell you the greatest thing is this. We go to folks and we tell them that the price has been paid, that they are loved, and that God seeks to save them. I was uh, talking to a buddy of mine one time, and his dad sells Medicare supplemental plans. And in the particular situation, uh, the, the fellow said, it's the greatest job in the world. He said, you know why? Because the folks I'm calling, it doesn't cost them anything. Now, it costs you and me something, but the person getting it doesn't cost them anything in that scenario. You've seen it before, haven't you, on the commercials? Uh, they'll have, you know, if you've got this or that or this, that or the other, it won't cost. You've seen Wilford Brimley. He gets on there. He, you know, he's barely surviving, got his mustache, and, you know, the Diabetes Association, and all that stuff. You've seen them do that. It ain't going to cost you anything. It ain't going to cost you anything. We know there's a price tag to everything. But here's the difference. We don't go and say somebody else will pay for it. We can, through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can go and say somebody else already has paid for it. That's the great provision. You can ne- you'll never meet a person that Christ didn't die for. Go to every stretch, every corner of this country, and you'll never meet a person Christ didn't die for. Go all the way to the far reaches of the world. Go to the absolute depths of wilderness. Find people that have never laid eyes on civilization or technology or another human being. And there you'll find a man that Christ died for. There's no one we go to but what Christ died for him and in their place. What a great provision. Uh, what a great provision. There's never a door that you knock on, but the person behind it is loved by Jesus Christ. There's never a place that you go, but what there's people that need the gospel and that, that can receive the gospel. We see in this passage... Uh, not only grace's admission, but we see God's provision. Notice number three, we see the great commission in verse number 19. What does it say? And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What's the word of reconciliation? It's the gospel. That's what reconciled you and me was the gospel. We heard the gospel preached. We heard that we were sinners. Christ died for our sins. And that if we'd by faith receive and accept Him, He'd save us change our lives. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That He died and was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. Well, notice what He says. He breaks it down a little bit, lest we wonder. Notice not only the motive and mindset and ministry of the ambassador, but notice finally the message. Verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. It begins with an invitation. An invitation. You know what the first part of the gospel is, don't you? It's to tell a sinner that God loves him. That God will receive him. That access has been made. I wonder sometimes what we're doing in the ministry when we spend our time. And I want to be careful how I say this. Listen, if if we're not trying to reach sinners, what are we really doing in the first place? If all we're trying to do is start a little social club with a bunch of rules, a bunch of rules, if that's all we're doing, what are we doing in the first place? That's not what we're here for. Imagine an ambassador going to the people group and saying, hey, I just want to stop in and let you know that my country don't care anything about you. Have a nice day. I just want to stop in and let you know my country's not here to help. I just want to stop in and let you know that uh, you fix all your own problems and then maybe we'll sit down and be a help to you. In other words, uh, you get in the place where you don't need any help and then we'll offer our help. You know, sometimes I think that's what we're doing. And I think that's why it's not working. I think we need to have 
a scriptural attitude, which is this. Don't worry about trying to fix yourself. Just come to Christ and He'll fix you. Don't worry about trying to clean yourself up. You just come to Christ. He'll clean you up. That's, that's what this thing is we're doing. It starts with an invitation. It starts with an, any that come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. It starts with a come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. It starts with a whole everyone that thirsts to come to the waters and drink freely. That's what this thing starts with. It starts with an invitation. Before, listen, before we ever get to anything else, they have to understand that God wants and loves them. We live in a world where people feel unwanted. I, listen, I know we don't like to hear that, but that's real. I know we think that's silly. I know we think that's trivial. I know we think that's a bunch of pop psychology nonsense, and maybe it is, but that's the world we live in. We live in a world where that's how people feel. We live in a world where, uh, though they may feel they're entitled to everything, they don't feel like they're wanted by anyone. Check the suicide rates. Tell me I'm lying. That's the world we live in. If only we could make them realize God loves them. God wants them. God cares about them. God has an interest in them. God knows who they are. And God wants to reach them. It starts with an invitation. Man, if it don't start with an invitation, we might as well not even go. It starts with an invitation. The next thing is a word of propitiation. Verse 21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us. He hath made Him to be sin for us. The first thing the average sinner would say is this, I can't come to God because I'm not worthy. How do we answer that? We could answer it like some popular preachers and say, sure you are, you're worthy. But that'd be a lie. And you know people know that. People know that's a lie. They can tell. I found this to be true. People are pretty perceptive sometimes. And especially a lost person in the matters of of religion, as they would call it. Uh, You know, I mean, you can sit there and you you can rub the butter on just as thick and as, as smooth as you try. But they want somebody to just talk plain with them. They're not worthy. I was not worthy. But there's one that died in my place who was worthy. It's a word of propitiation. It's not enough just to tell a person to turn over a new leaf. It's not enough just to tell a person to try better. It's not enough just to give a, tell a person to fix the finances or the marriage or whatever else it might be. We have to help them to understand that they are lost sinners in need of Christ, but that Christ died in their place. It's interesting if you study John chapter 4, and I don't have time to preach it this morning, but if you study John chapter 4, you'll find this. There was a point at which the woman at the well was ready to receive the water, quote-unquote. She said, give me this water that I might not have to come to this well and draw anymore. (laughs) And you know what Christ asked her? He said this, are you married? What a strange question. (laughs) Are you married? Are you married? She said, no, I'm not married. He said, that's right, you're not. You've been married five times, the fellow you're with now. You're not even married to. Why did he do that? Doesn't that seem rude? Why did he do that? Because she did not yet understand either the nature of the water or the nature of the woman. She did not understand that she was a lost sinner, and she did not understand that her greatest need was not that of physical water, it was that of spiritual water. The lost sinner must understand 
that the substance of salvation... Listen, there's lots of folks that got saved and God taught them how to handle their money. There's lots of folks that got saved and God fixed their marriage. There's lots of folks that got, that got saved and God got them off drugs. But you understand that people with great marriages, with a bank full of money, that have never touched drugs in their life, they can still die and go to hell. The substance of the gospel is not to make sinners better. It's to make sinners saints. It's not to, it's not to take a dead man and dress him up in the finest thread of clothes that you can find. It's to take a dead man... And make him live and breathe again. And until he realizes he's dead and lost and a sinner, that cannot happen. Once he realizes that, he needs to understand there's a propitiation. There's a payment that's been made. And then finally notice that there's a word of justification. For it hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I don't have time to preach it, but that's so much bigger than just changing the way you live. That's so much bigger than just changing the way that you live. The lost sinner needs to understand that right now he stands as an enemy of God, but Christ can make him a child of God. Not just that he can clean up his life, but that he can give him an eternal home and a present and eternal relationship with an almighty God. That's the gospel. You understand that part of the problem we have trouble reaching sinners is we try to sell them church. Well, some of them have been to church and they found out it ain't that all that cracked up to be. Right? Now, listen, you, I'm not against church. You understand that. But you understand they can be a member of a church and still die and go to hell. No, we need to be preaching Christ and Him crucified unto them.